Good to see everybody. We are ready for week two of our series that we kicked off called Hymns. And the, the reason we kicked it off really started several weeks ago when we did a song called I'll Fly Away. It's just the way that we ended that week. And that song is probably a hundred years old. It's a song that the church has been singing to God for a century. And when we did it, um, it resonated with us that day. I mean, you responded in the room and out of the room. And even though it's an old church song, everybody responded. It wasn't just the people that have been in church for years and years and years and like, that's the way it should be. I mean, there's probably some of that, I don't know. But also just people that were brand new. Don't come to church very often at all, but it just all kind of hit. And so out of that, we're like, well, that was kind of fun. Let's do some more of that. What if we went back and just grabbed some old songs that the church has been singing to God for hundreds of years? I mean, he could be sick of them. We should have thought of that. Like, man, has been singing this forever. <laughs> but we didn't really think about that. We just said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. And grab those, not because they're better than anything we do now. It's just a fresh way to say thanks to God. If I were to give you a phrase or a line for this series, it would just be that. It's a fresh way to say thanks to God. Do you have, just think about it this morning. Do you have anything to be thankful for? Yes. All right. I realize our lives are all spread out and every one of us has an area where are like, it's not going good here. This is not going well for me. But it doesn't mean that everything is there and I'm sure that there's something that we can be thankful for. And maybe you're stuck in that spot where you're like, I don't really have anything. These songs can come in and they can remind you that, yeah, you do. And if you already know you do, they can kind of tap into that. And so a fresh way to say thanks. So let's just enjoy it for that. Nothing more, nothing less. All right. So for me, it was a little bit fun to go back and to research or to prepare for this because I grew up in church. So I remember a lot of this, a lot of these songs. We had two books that I remember. One was black, one was brown. The black was thick, the brown was thin. I like the thin one better. I don't know, maybe the songs were shorter. I, but I was all about getting in, getting out back then. Like, let's not prolong this. Uh, but it was, what was interesting though, is like when I went there, like I remember, I can remember, like the page numbers. That's what surprised me. So 116 is count your many blessings. Like that's weird. Why do I know that? Dun, 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 dun. And there's something like sing-songy about it. Like I don't know if I liked it or hated it, but I remembered it. And this one. Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span, and so I'll do the best I can. So I'm not, we're not going to talk about the theology of that song. I'm just saying I remember it. Life's evening sun is sinking low. And Sunday school, like, is sinking low. We used to sing it that way in Sunday school, even though we didn't have low voices back then. A few more days, and I must go. And then the girls would say, to meet the deeds. And they would... It just, I liked it. I liked it. I did, and I remembered it. And like, all that kind of stuff came floating back. Like, I can, I think what I remember is like, I really appreciated that. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, what? And it was called the Hymns of Zion. 
And I think that's, you know, part of the reason that you walk away from some of that stuff is that the language gets kind of clunky. Like, what are the hymns of Zion? But anyway, I digress. The point is, it was, it was, I've sort of enjoyed going back, looking at that stuff. Some of them I just remember, like, that one is so slow. Like, I really didn't like that one. Like, come on already. Anyway. I didn't even know what the song of that one was. I thought it was Each Day I'll Do. But it turns out it's called A Beautiful Life, and it's 139. So, whatever. So, it was, anyway. So, but I didn't, this is the one I picked. I picked Rock of Ages. Because, here's why. It helps me say to God what I want to say to him. The way it's written and the words on the page, I feel that in my soul. Like, that's what I'm thankful for. That's what I want to say to him. And I don't know how that guy knew to write that, but when I say that, it just hits. Do you have anything? You just feel it in your soul. My wife has a, she has lots of playlists, but she'll say, we'll be driving down the road and something will be, whatever she's made for that week, or, and she'll just say, this song is my soul. Just, you can feel it. Well, that, this is for me. It's that. Rock of Ages cleft for me. It means split. So Rock of Ages is, of course, Jesus. He split for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And I love that because I need a place to hide because I'm not a good person. And I've never been a good person. But God ran me down and he gave me a place to hide and he covered it all up. And what a great way to say that. Who needs a place to hide? It's, that's what he's like. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. I just love the way it describes what happened at the cross. We'll get into it as we go, but at the cross, it's not just, all right then, I guess I'll just put your sin aside. Jesus paid for it, now be good. It's different. It is a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. We give something away to Christ, but we also get something. You give away the sin. He took it, and then he gives to us all the right that he ever was. To be right with God is a gift to be received. I just like the way it says it. So that's why we're doing it. Um, it doesn't come to us initially as a song. It's actually written as a prayer. And it stayed a prayer for decades. It was a prayer for the living and the dying. The guy that wrote it, his name was Augustus Toplady, and he grew up in England in the mid-1700s. And if you grew up there, you went to church. It's just what you did. In that time frame, the church was very much a, the center of life. King James of the King James Version, you may have heard of him. Right? He's been dead like 125 years when Toplady is living. There's no separation between church and state, so the head of one is the head of the other. And I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying if you were growing up, you were going to church. You were there. So growing up, he hears hundreds of sermons, and they're probably good because there's no separation of church and state. The, the, the top thinkers are in the church. I mean, it's good stuff going on. Probably not bad sermons. But he goes through that, and nothing hits his heart. It could be like really sound and right and good and all that, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit until he's 16 years old, and he goes to Ireland with his mom to visit some family, he decides to go to this little revival meeting in a village called Cody, Maine. And he goes there, and it's a simple message that night of, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for whatever reason, it just hit. And at 16, in this little middle of nowhere place, God just ran him down. God saved him. He believed that night. He believed unto salvation. Now, he always believed in God. I mean, he, as far back as he could remember, he believed in God. But to believe that God exists is very different than, no, God is who he says he is. And God is a, a savior sending God. And somehow that was for me. And I get it and I want it. That's a very different thing than, well, yeah, God exists. Our own Bible says, so you believe that there's a God. Great. So does the devil. They've talked. He knows he's real. Just to know he's real is not belief. But that's what God does. God runs you down. And he decides where and when, but he does it. And it's, it's written all through our scripture. In Acts chapter 11, there's a fight in church. Do you know there was a lot of church fights? Like a fair amount of the New Testament was church fights. So you had to be able to sort through that. But in Acts 11, here's the fight. Who can be a Christian? And there was a group of people who thought that they were the Jews. They thought they, only they could be included in, I didn't call it Christian back then, but only they could be included in what God was doing. Only they could believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. Because they were special. And then everybody else, well, God couldn't possibly like them because they're not Jews. So the fight was going on. And listen, they had reason to believe it. God did amazing things. I mean, most of the Old Testament, I mean, read that. God did amazing things among them. He chose them. He picked them. They were his people. And it, it did spill into the New Testament. In the very beginnings of that chapter, you may be familiar with the story when it's right after Christ ascends and God sends this, his Holy Spirit to dwell with believers for the very first time. Sort of a famous passage. My point with, with telling is that everybody in that story was a Jew, all right? So Christ dies on the cross, comes back. It's life after death in a new resurrected body. Christ explains everything to them. They're like, oh, we get it now. It actually says that Christ goes back and teaches them the Old Testament, how the Old Testament was connecting his death on the cross with all those prophecies. And they're like, it was just going off like, oh, oh, oh. And he's like, all right, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to make a place for you. Then I'm going to come back again. So you go wait in this, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the Spirit of God to be with you. So go wait in this room. So they're waiting in this room. And then how does it start? It says, and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then fire came down. It's like danced on their shoulders or their heads or something. And then they were filled with the Spirit. And then they started to speak in languages not their own in tongues not their own, people that were around that did not speak the same language as them, these guys were speaking or prophesying or telling about Jesus, and they could understand it in their own language, and they're like, are you drunk? And it's, it actually says that. Like, have you been drinking? And then there's an explanation. It's only 11 in the morning. That's a good story. Everybody in that story, Jew. They're special. So you're like, well, that didn't happen to you. Look what happened to us. But what happens, here's how the fight started. That same thing started happening to other people. Like God decided, 
God decided to show up and run them down in little villages like Cody, Maine. The story that started the fight was a guy named Cornelius who was not a Jew. It says he was a God-fearing man and he gave to the poor and God said, you need to hear about Jesus. So this guy, Peter's going to tell you about him, but he's staying at a guy's house named Simon, so go get him. And so he goes and gets him and Peter, who was a Jew, goes to this Cornelius who wasn't a Jew and like, I don't know how this is going to work, but here's what I have to say. And he tells him about Jesus and the same thing happens. I don't know about the wind and the fire, but the same thing happens. So Spirit of God comes and whoosh and all that, and they start to talk in tongues on their own, and like, it's a similar experience. And so other Jews were there, and they couldn't believe it, so they brought it back, and they started saying, like, no, God's doing this not just to us everywhere. And they're like, no, he's not. But after they hear enough of it, this is the conclusion of the matter. When they heard these things, they being those people that thought, they were just special. They fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Who saves? Who saves? God saves. Who does he save? Whoever he wants. He doesn't care where you come from, where you've been, how long. He doesn't care about any of that. Who grants repentance unto life? God does. He decides the where and the when. And in Cody, Maine, in 17 whatever, whatever, Augustus Top Lady is there, and boom, God grants repentance unto life. And he believes God just got him. This is what he wrote about that night. He wrote about it later. He says, strange that I, who had so long sat under the means in England. What were the means in England? This. The means would be this. The teaching and preaching, the dividing of God's word, the gathering of God's people, the, all that stuff. Those are the means. I sat under that for so long in England. Should be brought right unto God in an obscure part of Ireland. They didn't think much of Ireland back then. Maybe they still don't today. I don't know. In the midst of a handful of people met together in a barn by the ministry of one who could hardly spell his own name. Surely it was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous. Who saves? God saves. Does it matter if the preacher has a PhD or can barely spell his name? Does it matter? Does the preacher matter? No. When God decides he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And there was something about that that was so ironic to him. Like he was so formal and learned and in church and everything was structured. Then he goes to the middle of nowhere just taking the night off. It's all, boom, it just hits. And it made him believe, like it put all his emphasis on God. God saves. And I didn't even know that was part of his story, but it resonates with me because I grew up in church and I had people that invested in me and that were kind and that prayed for me and that cared for me and that taught me the word and that I mean they had a commitment to the Lord and they were walking in obedience to him and I was in their classes growing up and I couldn't have cared less I just wanted to know when it was going to be over and I just tried to find ways to not be there 
And there isn't anything that was said to me in those years growing up that hit my heart. It, it was rock hard. It just didn't matter. The only thing I wanted to be was away from it. And so I was. I went to college and I was in a full-on sprint away from God. He didn't even care, wasn't even thinking about it. And then my dad invited me to this meeting. And I wouldn't have gone, but I love my dad and he has earned the right to be heard in my life. And so I didn't want to go, but I was like, it was my dad. And I loved him, so I went. I've told you the story a hundred times. I go, the preaching is awful. The, the guy, I'm not even sure, as I was sitting there, I'm not even sure he was talking about Jesus. I'm not even sure he mentioned the cross. All I know is at the end of it, somewhere he said, if you are running from God, you need to stop and Boom, something hit me like a ton of brick. It was just over. I'm like, I guess that's me. I guess I'm done. I end up going down on the floor and crying and praying. And I promise you, that is the last, I was the last guy in there that ever thought that's how that night was going to end. But when God decides, it's, when God decides that you're done running, you're done running. When God decides that you're his, you're his. Boom. Because that's what God does. He, I was told to repent a thousand times. Like nothing. But when God grants repentance, it happens. I remember coming home. And I was talking to my mom. And she was like, well, what happened? I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I said this, I remember, like, I think I repented. <laughs> the point is, it happened to me. <laughs> it happened to me. Whose thought was it? It was God's thought. So, top lady, has that happened? Has in his heart to become, he wants to, fulfill a leadership role inside the church. He wants to make this an occupation, not for money and all that stuff, but he had this desire. He wanted to be a part of this thing, the church, in a way, in a leadership way. So he goes back and he studies accordingly and all that sort of stuff. And the message in his heart is God is marvelous. Why? Because of what happened to him. God is marvelous. But the message in the church was be good, shape up, God may be marvelous, and he may have come after you, and he wooed you, and, all, and got a hold of you, but you better start acting marvelous, or he might just let you go. And he's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. One, if I read my Bible. Two, like, why would God pursue me, clear to Ireland, and grab me, only to say, Shape up. <laughs> he wouldn't. That doesn't line up. It just, it just grew in him. Like he, he fought a lot inside the church, right? With things like this, like Ephesians. He's like, listen, Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predecided. He predestined us for adoption. As his son, look at that, adoption. 
God describes salvation as adoption, predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Listen, he, he came all that way to grab a hold of me to say, you now are in the family. You're my son. He's like, now there's a relationship to be had with that understanding that God is, like, I'm in the family. God is my father, and I am his son, and I want to explore that. I think we should explore that. And the work that you keep telling me to do, do works. You do this. Be good. Be right. And so God, if he does have you, he won't let you go, because he might let you go, but if you're good, then he won't. He's like, the works that you keep demanding that I do from the platform, those are the works that he's doing in me. Like, I am his workmanship. He came after, and now, he, this is Ephesians 2. It's like, he came after me, and by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing, is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast, for we are his workmanship. So if God has granted you repentance unto salvation, just grabbed a hold of you, like, you are what he is doing. I am someone that God has grabbed a hold of. And I am what God is doing. I'm his workmanship. And I'm as surprised as you are. There isn't anything about me that deserved it. He just decided it would be. And so he's doing that. That's what he says he will do. And he has created good works for us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do. And we should walk into them. And as we do, that will be Christ in us, the hope of glory. That will be Christ in us, working it out. Before we were dead, that's what, that was his point. Listen, before all this, you keep demanding that I be good. But that'd be like demanding to someone who is dead, be good. But I was dead, now I'm alive, but I'm only alive because of him, and anything good coming out of me is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Just the emphasis to him was all on God and not on works. Now, Do works have a place? I mean, does God say, be good? Does God say, do this and don't do it? Yeah, he does. Will that ever happen? Sure, it will happen. The first role, though, of commands or rules or what God wants, standards, the first role, do you know what the first role of those, if you read your Bible and you're like, I do this and I do this and do this, the first role of those is to break you down so you realize, I can't do all that. And when there's a certain hopelessness, like, I can't reach all that, you start to look for help. That was Christ who worked it all for us and gave it to us. Then, when that grace sinks in, that's when the works will come. It's out of gratitude that now I want to do it. So sure, there'll be fruit, there'll be works and all these things, but got to get the order right. Has God's goodness to you hit you? Like you just realize that he came after you and he got you. It humbles you, especially when you know better than anybody who you are. And that didn't dissuade him one bit. It softens your heart. And with a soft heart, then you're like, now I desire and I want to do these things. So the message was God is marvelous to him, not the other way around. So he was pushing for that, pushing for that. Salvation is an act of God because he is good that can't be undone because I might not be. 
There's a permanence there that he felt they were, they were missing. Can my son stop being my son if he makes a mistake? No. He makes mistakes. He is not perfect. I have weeds at my house, our house, and we kill those weeds with two, two different ways. One is like the double shot of that stuff that kills everything. And then it's a double shot of the stuff that only kills weeds, not grass. But whatever it is, it's usually a double shot of it, right? You read it and then you double it because we don't have time, do we? Who has time for that? I have time to watch weeds die. So it's one or the other, I don't know. And I saw, though, um, he had been doing that, and I saw that there was uh, half the sprayer left. He had sprayed maybe a day or two ago, but there was half of it left. And, like, you don't leave half a sprayer full of stuff because it'll— I learned this from my dad. I watched my dad do this all the time. Like, when you are finished, you spray out what's there, then you rinse it because the tip of the thing will get gummed up. Like, it's just—so I learned it, so I taught it to my boys. That's not how you do it. I mean, I can remember my dad a hundred times— finally popped that thing and, and that kind of that steam would come out of it. I could have been too close to it, man, all those years, like, <laughs> maybe that explains part of the issue, like, oh, yeah. Like, you don't do it. So I'm like, hey, you don't leave that. You finish the job, and then you rinse it. All right, all right. So he did. I didn't think anything of it. I saw it was put back. It was washed, and that's the way it should have been. So then, a few days later, I started to notice, like, that strip of grass looks dead. <laughs> and it goes this way. And then it's, that looks dead, too. And there's a circle. And he must have, so I'm like, hey, did you empty the sprayer? Yeah. <laughs> Like, do you know what kind was in there? Well, I thought it was the stuff that just killed the weeds. No. <laughs> it was the double shot that kills everything green. Have you seen the yard? No. Well, let's go look at it. You can literally, can literally follow his footsteps. And all he did as soon as I left was, <laughs> he was just, did he empty it? Yes. Now listen, I'm not a grass guy. I couldn't care less. If it doesn't grow, less to mow. That's me. <laughs> I really don't care. I don't. So it's not the issue. Um, however, even if it would have been the right stuff, is that what I wanted? I could have emptied it myself just dumping it out. The point was. But... That boy is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am in awe sometimes of how God has gifted him. And he is not perfect. But he's my boy. And nothing will ever change that.
that is what God does when he comes to get you. You are mine. So, he writes a prayer for the living and the dying. Like He wants the church to be so focused on God and Christ and what he has done. So, he's, he pens this prayer. And the opening line for it is, Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Rock of ages is, of course, Christ split open for us, a place to hide because we are forever walking around the yard just spraying out the double shot of it'll kill anything, making mistake people. And you need a place to hide. You need that to go away. You need to be, that has to be engulfed. That God always knew that it needed to be engulfed. So he split his son wide open and he gave you a place to hide in there surrounded by just all that is good. Rock of ages opened up for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Now there's some stories about how did he, how was he inspired to call Christ the rock of ages. And there are different stories. Um, one is Wikipedia. It's, it, it even says like this may or parts of this may be true. But here's one version of how he was inspired with that very opening phrase, rock of ages. Supposedly he was, top lady was going from one village to the next. He gets caught in a storm. And he sees this large rock up on the berm and it has like a fissure or a crack in it or a cleft he can go hide in. And there as he's waiting out the storm, everything is coming over the top of him. And he's like, this is the Christ. This is what God did. A place to hide. Almost a place to hide from God himself. I mean, if you think about it, that's what he's saying. God is he's fierce and holy and sin will be punished and this rock of ages with a crack is a place to hide from God himself and he's realizing that and so they think well this this is this is Christ they, they actually have a stamp on the rock where they say maybe he was hiding here's the rock you can see the stamp that says this is the rock of ages. It's somewhere in there that he was hiding. But it also says in the same article, there's now a rock of ages coffee shop and a rock of ages t-shirt shop. And so maybe someone just was trying to make money. I know that would hardly ever happen. But maybe, just maybe. So maybe his inspiration to call Christ the rock of ages. Maybe it came from the word itself, which if you read anything about him, that's where I believe that it came from. Just a, just a reading of the word and a description of Christ. Christ is called a stone or a rock from beginning to end. He's the stone the builders rejected. He's the stumbling block or stone those who were trying to get to God by just doing good works. They kept stumbling over Christ because he said that's not the way. He's the stone that will crush those who do not believe. He is the stone that will cause those who do believe not to be disturbed. That was written way back in Isaiah. Isaiah 28 says, 
Whoever believes in the tested cornerstone that I have laid, this is God talking, he, that person will not be disturbed. And things like Colossians chapter 3, these descriptions of Christ as a place to hide. Do you not know that you are no longer alive or that you're, you're dead and buried and now your life is hidden with Christ in God? All kinds of descriptions. So I think it probably comes from the word. The rest of that first stanza of his prayer says this. This is rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Is a reference to what? On the cross they want to know, has he, is he dead? Right, so they go and test, they jam that spear up through the side and it gets a flow of water and blood. Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. So he wants us to know that, listen, there was a lot going on at the cross, Yes, it is the pardon. It's the forgiveness of sin because if we, if we go back to grab that Ephesians chapter 2, there's a description in there, that, or maybe one, that says, we all by nature are objects of wrath. So God is what he is. He's the creator of everything good, right? But we are broken apart from that and naturally by ourselves we'll never pursue him. So as such, we are an object of wrath because he's a holy God. That's how we come in. And if nothing ever gets in between there, we get the wrath. But Christ here comes in between it, and he became that for us. Not just as a sacrifice, you know, because God was like, well, somehow I got to appease myself. No, he became sin. God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So he became a sinner, something that God hated. And so he paid for it and took it away. So God is just, and if the penalty has been paid for, then, okay, I guess you go free. But you can't think of it that way. That's only half of it. Well, he paid for it, so I guess you're off the hook. But be good. Do we have forgiveness in Christ? Yes. Is it removed? Yeah, but it's, it's like a double cure. The cross is a double cure. One, the sin goes away, but two, just to, just to be forgiven doesn't make you right. The other half of it is we get everything that he did. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you feel perfect at the moment? No. You know your shortcomings, but you've been hidden in Christ. You're wrapped up with him. He made perfect forever those he is making holy. And whatever he started, he'll finish, but that's, that's the exchange. We give Everything that separates us from God, here's the sin. Christ takes it, pays for it, and then he says back, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. We get it. God imputes, just means sticks. God imputes our sin to Christ. It's yours. And then he takes the righteousness of Christ and he imputes or sticks it to us. It's yours. Forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I think if there's a verse that Top Lady wanted the church to know, it was that one. Listen, God did everything. It's finished. It's done. Now just see it and the good works will come. Just see it and the good works will come. Forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Stanza two. And remember, no one's singing it yet. This is just a prayer. And it would be a good idea. Put it in your bulletin. Prayer for the living and the dying. Save it. Make it a prayer. Throughout this series, pray it. 
Not the lab- now that you understand what was inside of him, now the rest of it, you're like, I know what this guy is doing. I know why he writes this way. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's commands. Could my zeal no respite or languor no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. I like the middle two because those are the two that we run to apart from Christ. If we're trying to be right with God apart from Christ, we say one of two things. One, oh, he's a pretty good guy. He tried pretty hard. He did some good stuff. Could my zeal no longer? No. No. All for sin could not atone. The other one is, well, I'm really sorry. If I ever face God outside of this, I mean, he'll just understand. I tried really hard, and then maybe if I'm sad or if I can prove it, you know, I'll just cry and cry and cry, and then somehow that will touch a button of sympathy in God, and then at the end of the day, God is more sympathetic than he is holy, and he'll just say, yeah, get in here. How many times have you heard me say, God is not your grandpa? But apart from the word, that's kind of the attributes we attach to him. Oh, he's going to understand. What does he say? Could my zeal no languor no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's God, it's God, it's God. The last two. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. We're not going to sing this stanza, but I would like to sing that just because I think it sounds cool. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The last one. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar, soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Now stop right there. That is not necessarily going to be a good thing. See thee on, the, on thy judgment throne. Because apart from Christ, it's not going to be good. Actually says in the end, like our own word will say, in the end, outside of Christ, like it's not, you don't want that. You don't want to see that because that's going to be bad. It would be better if whole mountains fell on top of you to kind of insulate you from God because that's how far away you're going to want to be. You're going to want to be buried under a mountain because you don't want what he's got. But with, so if with, he says, see thee on, my, on thy judgment throne, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's the only place I want to be. That's, that's everything I need, but I need hidden because I am not good, never was, but you did it all, and that is enough. So you pray it. It's written down, and it's a prayer for decades. And then a guy who was born after Top Lady dies, writes music to it. He reads the words. Maybe he even prayed them. His name is Thomas Hastings. He wrote a thousand tunes for hymns. And he reads the words, and he writes a tune he called Top Lady. And he just put together, like, this tune should go with these words. And they put them together, and then, finally, after all those years, then it becomes the hymn, Rock of Ages. And it's probably in more hymn books than any other hymn ever written. Kind of some cool stories about it. I mean, there are stories about sailors at sea, ships going down, somebody gets saved and they say, what was it like? What was it like when the ship was going down? And the the word that came back was, well, all that could gathered and as long as we could, we just sang Rock of Ages.
cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. It's a prayer for the living and the dying. I, I like the one from, it's like her name is Bainbridge. L.S. Bainbridge. She was a missionary to China. And in China, it was all, the, the people were underneath this thought of God that God or the gods were sort of pulling the string. So you had to please them. You had to do certain things. And if you did, you would come back. But based upon what you did in this life, then you would come back as something else. And then if you did good, you could come back as this if you did bad. So it was terribly stressful. So they worked and worked and worked and worked to try to earn merit or earn good favor with these gods that were there. And one lady in particular that she was working with, she was digging a well, and she wanted to dig a well for this community. It, that would get her to a position where she could come back as something good. Here's how messed up what it, what, that it was. The best hope they had is if they could come back as a man. <laughs> Women, how hopeless would it be if your hope, it's like, maybe I can come back as a man. <laughs> that is not good news. So she digs the well. This Bainbridge starts to work with her. They, at some point in time after this feat, this digging of the well, 20 feet deep, she begins to hear the, the good news of a God who would actually send a son to die to take away sin. Like a God that pursues, not a God that lords it over, tries to punish. A God that so loved the world that gave his only son that whosoever believes. And at some point in time, God granted her repentance unto life. And then this Bainbridge lady writes, she said, now it is my pleasure to stand beside her and we sing together. She said, she lifts up her old, she said, now a woman of 80, she lifts up her old wrinkled hands and she says, nothing in thy hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's free. Because who did it all? God did it. And this hymn, it just causes us to remember that. So we're going to sing it together now. So we're going to stand up and come out. And think it through. <laughs> He's a place to hide. And we all need it.